0: This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, a debilitating disorder in children that can result from a strep infection. She was
1: completely out of control of her body. So she would scream and cry and run around the house pulling things off walls. She was just completely out of control.
0: A disorder called PANDAS. Radio Health Journal returns. The
1: biggest threat to your teen is parked in the driveway. Hi, I'm Debbie Herzman, President of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. Car crashes are a number one killer of teens because they lack driving experience. I have three boys, and I know it's scary seeing your child at the wheel. Here are some ways that parents can make their teens better drivers. Practice driving with them for at least 30 minutes each week, even after they get their license. Drive the way you want your kids to drive. Minimize distractions, refrain from speeding, and always wear a seatbelt. Limit other kids in the car. A single young passenger can increase a teen's crash risk by 44%. And finally, set a driving curfew. Most fatal crashes occur between 9 p.m. and midnight. For more coaching tips, visit driveathome.org.
2: Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council and Volkswagen Group of America.
0: A couple of years ago, J.C. Konechny's daughter, Greta, was a normal five-year-old looking forward to starting kindergarten. But it changed in an instant after a case of strep throat.
1: We had her treated, and we thought that she was better. But we noticed overnight that she became extremely obsessive about her throat specifically. And her belief was that something was stuck in her throat. She literally believed there was a bone or a piece of tissue that was lodging her airway. She was very insistent about this and would mention it thousands of times a day. So, of course, she became very concerned. We went down the medical path, had her seen by an ENT, and the ENT cleared her and said her throat looks great. She doesn't have strep. She looks good. I would recommend that this might be a psychological
0: problem. The Konechnis took Greta to a therapist who thought she had obsessive-compulsive disorder, but treatment didn't help. She was put on four different SSRI drugs, but the symptoms only got worse.
1: During this time, she began having these attacks where she would be completely normal, would be driving down the road, and all of a sudden she would say, I'm dying, and start screaming and have what adults would call a panic attack. A very, very upsetting, emergent-type situation where she really believed that her heart was going to jump out of her chest, that she was dying. She had deteriorated to the point of What we can't call psychosis, because psychosis is a complete break from reality, but in our daughter's case, she was completely out of control of her body. So she would scream and cry and run around the house pulling things off walls. She was just completely out of control. There would be days where she wouldn't be able to swallow her own saliva because she couldn't coordinate her swallowing reflex. She began to lose the ability to walk, so she would crawl everywhere. And again, I have to emphasize, this was a completely normal child prior to this illness.
0: About a year and a half later, Konechny found a doctor who finally connected Greta's strep throat to the onset of her symptoms. He believed she had not a psychological disorder, but damage to a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. It's a disorder whose full name is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Streptococcal Infection. People call it PANDAS for short.
1: In PANDAS, when a child contracts strep, there is a misdirected immune response. Basically, the body becomes autoimmune. So the immunities that the child produces to strep attack the child's own brain and affect specifically the basal ganglia of the brain. The basal ganglia controls movement. That's where we see these tick disorders, problems swallowing, issues with urination. And then also the basal ganglia controls mood. Obsessive-compulsive disorders, anxiety, are thought to originate in the basal ganglia, and that is the part of the brain that seems to be most impacted by PANDAS.
3: The only reason we really treat strep is to prevent the immune reactions to it. Strep normally goes away in three days, whether you treat it or not. But there are serious consequences that have been well known for a long time. That strep triggers immune reactions to the brain, the kidneys, the skin and, you know, just joints in general, and to the heart, obviously, which is the rheumatic fever.
0: That's Dr. Elizabeth Latimer, clinical assistant professor of pediatrics and neurology at Georgetown University. She says the hypothalamus and amygdala may also be attacked by the body's immune system, creating a whole host of possible symptoms.
3: A lot of the kids have difficulty with noise, bright lights. That can occur at school as well. And the other issue with anxiety is that they. Severe separation anxiety, so a lot of these kids can't go to school at all. And then there's some minor issues which can come up, like hoarding or collecting of things. But a lot of these children really become cripples within their own home. Severe impulsivity, the they children, and run across the main highways, flood-off roofs, all sorts of things, aggression, rage episodes. And during the rage episodes, which the kids don't recall, by the way, the pupils just become completely black. They have a deterioration in their handwriting. They have inability to fall asleep, initiate sleep at night, and a difficulty maintaining
0: sleep at night. Many children with the disorder suffer from facial tics or may yell out when they don't intend to. Konechny, who is now executive director of the PANDAS Network, says kids may also suffer from severe obsessive-compulsive disorder. And that in
1: children can look many different ways. It can look like the need to repeat things or ask something over and over and over again, the classic germ phobia or hand-washing, a belief that food is contaminated is a very common OCD symptom we see in children with pandas, and that usually leads to restricted eating. So, Mommy, I cannot eat any food that is red. It is poison. And a true belief in the child that that is true.
0: Konechny says parents should take note of symptoms like these, particularly if they start suddenly. Latimer says a child can have a Jekyll and Hyde transformation from completely normal to out of control literally overnight. However, that's sometimes hard for doctors to believe. Patients are attacked by
3: their physicians. They're told that your child couldn't possibly have been normal before this, even though the parents bring video with them. And then they get them into psychiatric hospitals. And one of the things is they put them on medications, and sometimes the medications make the kids worse. And then They get diagnosed with bipolar disease or some other psychiatric illness. And then they spiral into the psychiatric world, and it's tough to get them out of
0: that. Officially, PANDAS afflicts an estimated 1 in 200 children, but Latimer says the real number is likely higher because so many are misdiagnosed. And the longer PANDAS goes on, the worse the symptoms get strep is often never diagnosed and it may take as long as six weeks after a strep infection before pandas symptoms set in so doctors and parents may never connect the two but once they do, doctors often start treatment with antibiotics.
1: That is the first line of therapy. And really our hope is that if kids are caught early, if we increase awareness, then children will be caught in the beginning of their illness. And then they can be treated, usually with a course of antibiotics, typically a little longer than you'd see for streps. So we see kids treated for about three weeks with low-cost generic antibiotics, typically run 10 to $20. You
3: treat the infection, so you get rid of the trigger of the immune reaction. Whatever antigen or protein is triggering your body to respond immunologically, you get rid of the trigger. So you just have to treat the stroke. And if that does not resolve the problem, then you have to deal with the immune reaction. So if you use the analogy of asthma, if a child comes in with an asthma attack, you give them antibiotics. if This is a bacterial infection.
1: If that doesn't work, then you give them steroids. The course of steroids is usually introduced as well to reduce any swelling that we might see in the brain. This is really encephalitis, if you will. It's the brain being attacked by antibodies and then the brain swells. So there's an encephalitic process going on and that's why steroids are needed.
0: Doctors may also suggest a treatment that might surprise you, taking out the tonsils. A tonsillectomy was almost a rite of passage decades ago for kids with recurrent sore throats. Doctors were concerned about essentially the same thing as pandas, strep throat prompting an immune reaction. But back then, it was a fear that antibodies would attack the heart.
3: We do a lot of tonsillectomies at Georgetown. Again, it's removing the trigger. So in the 1950s, in 1959 was the peak year of tonsillectomy in the United States. People were really afraid of strep in 1959 because people had rheumatic fever. If someone had strep too many times they would take their tonsils out. I've had many parents actually just make the decision to take the kids' tonsils out and pay for it on their own because their insurance companies wouldn't pay for it.
1: I think if your child has a strep-mediated illness, it's a really good idea to remove the organ in the body, the tonsils, that harbor strep very often. And in many kids, we think of it as kind of cleaning out the house and dusting everything before you put the furniture back in. So before you deliver treatment to a child, you take out, this tissue that in many cases, and in my daughter's case, was full of bacteria.
0: However, children with more severe cases of PANDAS who've been sick longer may need more. That's when doctors may try treatment with IVIG, intravenous immunoglobulin therapy.
1: In this therapy, antibodies taken from healthy donors, so you go and donate blood, thankfully millions of Americans do that, the healthy antibodies are removed from that blood product and they're pooled into one bag and then infused into the sick patient. Those healthy antibodies, there's usually about 900 of them, between 7 and 900 depending on the weight of the child, go in and they dilute the child's system so that the diseased antibodies that the child's carrying are less effective, meaning they're not able to go in and attack the child. So it's sort of a reset for the immune system, and it's quite effective.
0: Konechny says after receiving IVIG, her daughter returned to her normal self almost immediately after 18 months of illness. But if rebooting the immune system doesn't work, doctors may try purifying it with what's called plasmapheresis.
1: And this is usually reserved for the most severely ill children because it's done in the hospital. During this process, a central line is placed in the child, and the child's blood is actually removed and filtered. So about 98% of the antibodies are removed from the child's blood. And then their blood, the clean blood, that's been cycled through this plasmapheresis machine is put back into them.
3: Plasmapheresis has been used for decades for the treatment of all autoimmune neurologic disorders. It's like dialysis of the immune system. You just take out the layer of plasma that contains all the antibodies and the process that you do over several days. And that's probably the most effective treatment. It is actually, in fact, the gold standard for the treatment of Guillain-Barre syndrome and myasthenia graft and a variety of other things. And the American Academy of Apheresis, has approved that efavirenz is the first-line therapy of
0: PANDA. Latimer says the vast majority of children can be treated successfully, but researchers don't know if PANDA's prompts long-term damage to the basal ganglia. Latimer says repeated strep infections are probably necessary to trigger pandas, along with a genetic predisposition. So it's important to know, do pediatricians know pandas when they see it?
1: I would say 10 years ago, absolutely not. But thanks to the work of our organization and many others, and really quite frankly parents, it's becoming common that when you go in and mention this to a pediatrician, they've at least heard of the disorder. What's troubling is that yet the American Academy of Pediatrics has not made a statement about the disease, and we hope that that will happen soon. They will come out with a best practice and how to diagnose PANDAS and then how to treat it.
0: Konechny invites you to find out more at her organization's website, pandasnetwork.org, or through the PANDAS Physicians Network at pandasppn.org. You can find links on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net, where you'll also find archives of our programs. You can also find them on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence.
1: Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment.
0: When your blood, tissue, or biopsy is sent to the lab, it's examined by a doctor you may never meet, but who may make a life-and-death diagnosis. That doctor is a pathologist. A pathologist is a physician whose unique skills are critical factors in your health care. Dr. Richard Friedberg is the president of the College of American Pathologists. Pathologists
3: are the scientists of medicine. We convert medical data from a tissue sample into usable medical information by asking the right questions. The most important questions are the ones that have not been asked. Pathologists ask questions like, what further tests should be run? What other diagnoses should be considered? What do we not see that should be there? And we must constantly look back to improve health by asking about those that don't get well, as well as those
0: who do. This culture of rigorous thought and curiosity drives pathologists to be precise, to ask and answer those extra questions, and to get your lab results right. For more information, go to yourpathologist.org.
2: Medical Notes this week. Could you catch the Zika virus from an infected person's tears? It's possible. A study in the journal Cell Reports finds that the Zika virus can live in the eyes and can be detected in tears. The study was done on mice, but in humans, some adults develop conjunctivitis in the eyes after contracting Zika. Babies infected in the womb often have eye damage that can cause blindness. Researchers are looking for alternate means of infection because Zika is spreading much faster than mosquito transmission could explain. Obesity has already been linked to a higher risk of a variety of cancers, including colon, esophagus, breast and kidney cancer, and now they've added to the list. A study in the New England Journal of Medicine links excess weight to eight more cancers, including cancer of the stomach, liver, pancreas and ovary. And finally, head lice will cause panic at any grade school, and a new study shows those bugs are harder than ever to get rid of. The study in the journal Pediatric Dermatology reports that standard treatments for head lice, known as pyrethroids, are becoming markedly less effective, probably because lice are developing resistance. And home remedies like mayonnaise and petroleum jelly? The report says don't bother. They don't work. What still does work are a variety of prescriptions, but researchers warn they should be used sparingly, or the bugs will develop resistance to those too. And that's Medical Notes this week.
4: More in a moment. Blood clots affect about 900,000 Americans each year, resulting in about 100,000 deaths, more than from AIDS, breast cancer, and motor vehicle crashes combined. Hospitalization, surgery, and physical trauma are major factors that put you at risk for blood clots, according to Dr. Gregory Maynard, Chief Quality Officer at the University of California Davis Medical Center
1: blood clots occur during a hospital stay or within 90 days of one. Most of these blood clots can be prevented, but fewer than half of hospital patients receive proper prevention measures. So before you're admitted to the hospital, Talk with your doctor
4: and develop a blood clot prevention plan. Anyone can develop a blood clot. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advises that you know the signs. Signs of a blood clot in the legs or arms include pain and swelling with skin that's warm to the touch, red or discolored. Signs of blood clots in your lungs are difficulty breathing, chest pain that worsens with a deep breath, coughing up blood, and a faster than normal or irregular heartbeat. If you think you have a blood clot, seek immediate medical care. Find out more from the National Blood Clot Alliance at Stop the Clot.